verse uh, 15 to 17. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Thank you. Please be seated. Everyone enjoying watching the Olympics? They're handing out an awful lot of uh, gold medals. And we've been actually talking about an event that uh, they've never included in the Olympics because it's just too challenging. We've been talking about the extreme, ultimate challenge of following Jesus Christ. A challenge that can only be completed with divine intervention through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because everyone who runs with perseverance gets gold. But it's better than a medal. We get a victory parade down the golden streets of the New Jerusalem. And today we're going to enter our fourth event. So let's pray. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to be in your house. It's just so good to be in this place and to just be in this healthy spiritual environment and to know that uh, you're always doing something in our lives. You're always there to call us to go further in our relationship with you. So Lord, we just thank you that this morning is also a significant part in that whole process. Thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This series is not about following your dreams or following your heart. It's about following Jesus Christ. It's about going deeper in your faith. And we have already learned in the previous three messages that as we follow our Lord, he will give us opportunities. And those uh, opportunities we've seen happened through the three boat trips that were taken by Jesus and his disciples where he gave them opportunities to obey him even when they didn't feel like it. And opportunities to discover that he was even greater than they thought he was. And opportunities to take risks even though they'd probably fail. Today in John chapter 21, we're going to look at three more opportunities. Now speaking of failure, Peter was just getting warmed up at a fire pit in the courtyard outside the high priest's house. Hours ago, Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples for another storm, one that would take his life, because the hostility of the religious leaders had become combustible, and they were determined to execute him. So Peter immediately volunteered to be Christ's bodyguard. I have a sword. I won't let them take you. 
brave words for a fisherman, but how are you going to fight off a squad of trained soldiers? Hey, don't forget, I once walked on water. I got this. I love you, Lord. I will not let this happen. I am willing to even die for you. Peter was very sincere. But Jesus predicted that before dawn the next day, Simon the swashbuckler will have denied him three times. No, that's impossible. Even if everybody else deserts you, I got your back. I will not fail this time. Peter was very sincere. He loved Jesus. He had the best of intentions. But it turned out to be a comedy of unforced errors, or a tragedy, I should say. Peter did get a chance to use his weapon. He was perhaps hoping to cut off a few heads, but all he got for his trouble was an ear. He was not a skilled swordsman. Some bodyguard. If Jesus hadn't intervened, they would have sliced and diced him. So off Jesus was led by the arresting soldiers. And Peter didn't give up. He still believed there might have been something he could do. So he followed at a distance. And then he stopped at a coal fire pit. Where some of the bystanders noticed him. Well, aren't you one of his followers? How come you haven't been arrested yet? It was a trap. Peter had walked right into a trap. But he had an exit strategy. What are you talking about? I don't know him. I've never heard of him. So this man who loved Jesus more than all the others denied him. Once, twice, three times. Three strikes and you're out. I think they call that high treason. That almost put him in the same category as Judas. This was Peter's greatest failure. As previously advertised, he had not been able to save Christ. The enemy had prevailed, and now God was dead. So Peter's heart was broken. His spirit was crushed, and his faith was shattered. It couldn't get any worse. And then, a few days later, came breaking news. The soldiers guarding the tomb had deserted their posts. The stone had been rolled away from the entrance. The tomb is empty. The chief priests were trying to put their spin on these events. But the truth became clear. Jesus Christ had risen from the grave. Death had been swallowed up in victory. And of course, that changed everything. In fact, that's the only event that ever changed everything. Jesus told the first eyewitnesses, the women, go and tell the disciples and Peter. I wonder what that meant. Well, anyway, this was not the end. This was just the beginning. Unfortunately, Peter had forfeited any opportunity to be part of the future. He was a traitor. He had done the unforgivable. So what did the resurrection mean for him personally? Well, to find out, we need to take another boat trip. John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Verse 3. 
I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Peter did not know what his future would look like. So he went back to the past, to his default setting. But Peter was not only hopeless as a disciple, he was also hopeless as a fisherman. Can't he do anything right? Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Does that sound familiar? Deja vu. The whole adventure is starting all over again. This has already happened in Luke 5. You know, the good news is that no matter how deep our failure is, the Lord is always willing to start over again. He did that with me. After eight years of running away from him until I finally ran out of energy and motivation, God said to me, why don't we just start all over again? Follow me. And that's what's happening here. We're back at the beginning. Before we can face the future, we may need to uh, deal with the past to resolve any unfinished business, to clean out some of those malicious viruses of regret, and then we can reboot. John was the first to figure this out. Verse 7, when the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. It's interesting, in each passage we've looked at, Peter experienced a surpassing manifestation of Christ's greatness. With that, first of all, the miraculous catch of fish, and then the one who was able to command the storm and the waves, and then the one who walked on water, and now the risen Lord. Each time there was a greater manifestation. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. Peter couldn't wait. There was just something magnetic about Christ. He had to be with him. Now, the last time Peter got out of a boat, he, he was able to walk on water, but not this time. Maybe his guilt was too heavy. He had a struggle to reach the shore, perhaps with some mixed emotions. In verse 8, we read, The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Burning coals. That fire reminded Peter of the scene where he had his greatest failure. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Can you feel some of the tension here? It's almost unbearable. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to Peter 
And each time, Peter must have braced himself for impact because there was a rebuke with his name on it. So Peter, you said you didn't know me. Well, then get thee behind me, Satan. I never knew you. Peter, can't you do anything right? But Jesus said nothing about it. Not the first time, not the second time. Peter couldn't stand it any longer. Let's get this over with. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, here it comes. I deserve it. It's all my fault. I'll just be on my way and I won't bother you anymore. Good luck with your kingdom. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? You said you did. You claimed that even if everyone else would forsake me, you would not fail me. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Isn't it amazing that there's no rejection, no condemnation? You see, when we follow Christ, we will have opportunities to experience his grace even when we're at our worst. At our worst moment when we've done the worst possible thing, that's when we can experience God's amazing grace. But why did Jesus repeat the question three times? Well, it's obvious because Jesus denied, or Peter denied Jesus three times. So let's set the record straight. How do you really feel? Maybe it's like a multiple fracture. The relationship had to be reset at the point of each failure. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. I've never stopped loving you. I will always love you. Okay, good. Then feed my sheep. But Lord, sheep, I love you. I don't love sheep. That's why I became a fisherman. Sheep, I mean, they're nothing but trouble. Nobody wants to look after sheep. That's the last resort of unskilled labor. But Peter, I never asked if you loved sheep. I asked if you loved me. Then prove it. Feed my sheep. Remember the hit song by that famous singing group whose name I can't remember? More Than a Feeling? It's easy to say, I love God. But how can you prove it? In 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 to 21, John gives us a very practical way to find out how much we actually love God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
That's pretty intense. You see, loving God is not just a solitary experience, a feeling that I get when I watch a beautiful sunset. It's not just the two of us. It's kind of like, uh, like cable TV. You subscribe to cable because there's channels you're interested in. The Food Network, HGTV, Duck Dynasty, Hillbilly Hand Fishing, stuff like that. But then you also get, along with your favorite shows, all these other channels you're not interested in. Sports Center, TSN, the NFL channel. Why do I have to pay for shows I don't want to watch? You know why? Because they come bundled. The cable company is trying to get all of their channels into circulation. So it combines the lousy ones with the good ones. That's why we have Downton Abbey. Who ever watched something like that? But it's a package deal. They come bundled. And that's exactly what loving God is all about. You claim to love God, then you have to get involved in church. But the church, I mean, it's full of drama. There could be hypocrites. What if there's bullies and what if there's opinionated people and legalists? There might be grumblers and complainers. What if the church has people I don't like? It probably does because they're all part of the bundle. If you claim to love God whom you have not seen, that's just too easy. It's no problem loving someone who's not in your face and stepping on your toes or getting on your nerves. God doesn't sit in your favorite pew. If you say you love God, what is the evidence? Well, the only way to prove it is to love your brother whom you have seen. But what about the, the guy that sings off key? What about the lady who takes up two parking spaces? Well, it's a package deal. They come bundled together. As a pastor, I guarantee you that there are people in this church who will test your sanctification. And who knows, maybe you're the one who's driving somebody else crazy. That's what happens in every congregation. And it's intentional. Because we don't love God any more than the Christian we dislike the most. I could say that more intensely because that's actually a milder version of a quote by Rosalind Rinker. We don't love God any more than the Christian we dislike the most, according to John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. In fact, we learn to love God by practicing loving people we don't like. That's how we learn to love God. You see, following Christ is not just a solo event. Remember Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration? He saw Jesus transfigured and there was Elijah and there was Moses. And Peter said, Lord, this is it. This is, this is the ultimate. It doesn't get any better than this. So let's make three booths or shelters and stay here. We don't need to involve the others. This is it. And immediately Jesus brought them back down into the valley and they dealt with a demon possession. Peter, do you love me? 
Well, then feed my sheep. You see, when we follow Christ, we will have opportunities to build community, even with people we don't like. And that's very, very important. They used to talk about churches should be homogeneous units. It should be people that are just like you. People are easy to get along with. Don't have any kind of diversity. Well, it's amazing what God has done. He's brought everyone together. And that's what church is supposed to be like. Peter, feed my sheep. Go ahead. That's your life. I mean, this is amazing because Peter was, was really a hopeless case. But Jesus hadn't given up on him. He hadn't even put him on probation. I'm watching you. Don't mess up again. Peter was not only restored, he was promoted to be a leader in the church, a shepherd of the flock. I think that's called amazing grace. And this is really what my story consisted of because my first eight years after conversion were an absolute disaster because I not only denied Christ, I absolutely disliked him. And I gave God every reason to reject me, but he didn't. And instead, I became a shepherd feeding sheep. Now, many were delightful, but some were a disaster. It was all part of the bundle. As we go deeper, we will experience God's grace, even when we're at our worst. And we will have opportunities to build relationships and community, even with people we don't like. And here's the third one, verse 18. I tell you the truth, Jesus is saying, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter, I'm sending you into another storm. In fact, you're going to become my storm chaser. Even though you are my ambassador, you do not have diplomatic immunity. They're going to rough you up. And in the end, you're not going to die of natural causes. Just remember, all you have to do is follow me. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And said, Lord, what's going to happen to him? What about him? What's going to happen to John? I hope he's going to get his share of suffering. Or are you going to take it easy on him? Are you going to treat John better than you're treating me? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. What's going to happen to John? <laughs> That's none of your business. I have called you to follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Don't compare yourself with others. Mind your own business and follow me. Following Christ gives us opportunities to face trials and tribulations even though others may not. You see, 
God doesn't love anyone more than he loves you. Everyone gets exactly the same amount of love. But that does not mean he treats everyone the same. And Satan has kept reminding me of that the whole time. Oh, look. Look at that pastor. His church is much smaller, but he makes more money than you do. And Pastor Jones is way more popular than you are. And Pastor Smith has already published 20 books and your proposal was canceled at the last minute. This is especially troubling when we have to suffer. Why me? How come nobody else is suffering? How come God treats other people better than he treats you? How come? Well, it's none of your business. When we start comparing ourselves, we will get disappointed. We may get depressed, but we will always be distracted. And when we're distracted, it is impossible to follow Jesus. We can't compare ourselves because we'll get distracted and we will it'll be impossible to follow Jesus. If you're serious about going deeper and experiencing more, you can't compare yourself with others. It's too distracting. Jesus said, or the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. All the other stuff is really none of your business. So following Christ gives us opportunities to face trials and tribulations, even though others may not. Following him gives us opportunities to experience God's grace, even when we're at our worst. And following him gives us opportunities to build community, even with people we don't like. Because following Christ always leads into the church where we find ourselves surrounded by absolutely delightful people and also some difficult ones. And that's when you find out how much you love God. Because love is more than a feeling. So I want to challenge you this summer this is your assignment, should you choose to accept it. Identify the Christian you dislike the most, whether they're part of this church or not, and try to do something good for them, something you would only do for one of your best friends. And it doesn't matter if you feel like it. Remember Luke 5? Obedience really starts to count when we obey even if we don't feel like it. That's when it starts to count. Don't worry about your feelings. Do something good. That is your challenge, should you choose to accept it. Let's pray. Lord, what a marvelous opportunity we have to follow Jesus. And following him certainly gets us into all kinds of situations and experiences we had not expected. There is so much more. There's more revelation of your greatness. But there's also more trouble, 
more difficulty. So it's obvious that this really is impossible. And it reminds us of the words in, that Jesus spoke in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's true. We can't do this. We need the Holy Spirit. We need divine intervention. We need to submit and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And having realized that, and having allowed that to happen, we want to continue following you. Because there's nothing else in life that matters. It's all about you. Praise, glory, and honor to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.